Well, greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line. It is uh, a, a first for us. We've been in what we call the big studio for about a year now. Uh, we've had people like uh, John Cooper and Joe Boot uh, join us in here, but they were joining us virtually, not in, in person. And we have live human beings other than Rich and I in this room. It's sort of weird and shocking. They're sort of weird and shocking too, but uh, that's a whole other story. I don't have to get into that. But uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm joined today. Some of you have seen the graphic behind me. You've seen the graphic on, uh, on uh, social media. A debate took place, what was it, two weeks ago now? Yeah. About, about two weeks ago now um, uh, at... Uh, well, it's the church that we, we rent anyways. Uh, I've actually done a debate there in 1995. You guys, uh, you weren't? <laughs> I was three. You were three. All right, there you go. All right, so a long, long time. You know what? Looks pretty much identical to what it did. The nothing's changed, really, at that point in time. But uh, uh, Daniel Constantino, Oscar Dunlap uh, are, um, well, I suppose I was... I was going to be proud to say our deacons at Apologia until uh, Daniel showed up with his knees showing. So, but I guess I'll still have to say that. Uh, you're, you're now going to have the same experience that, uh, Jeff, that, yeah. that Jeff had. Uh, you really, really are. Yeah. Uh, except Jeff showed up in plaid jammy pants. So that's, uh, I'm not sure which is worse. But anyway, <laughs> anyways, these two young men are from Apologia Church. So you, they may slip once in a while. And uh, call me Pastor James, uh, because that's what I'm called around there generally. But um, a debate took place that I moderated, and um, it was on the subject... Well, you can see the title, On What Authority Should We Believe? But I I, I, I don't even know how to describe exactly what the topic ended up really being when you dig into it. And we're going to be digging into it today. On the program, we'll be playing some clips from it, responding to some material, um, and hope that it will be very useful to everybody in, uh, in the audience. Um, but let me start off. Uh, you guys, what in the world got you uh, in a situation where you all, a number of months ago, came to me and you're like, hey, we've uh, met these Mormon guys, and uh, what would you think about moderating a debate? How'd that, how'd that come about? Yeah, well, we do uh, weekly Every other week, we do evangelism as Apologia Church. So we'll go to local wards where the Mormons kind of meet on Sundays. and How we'll... unloving. Yeah, that, that's, what, mean, we hear, that's wow. what we hear all the time, I mean, unloving. We're just, we're just all in this together. My, yeah, yeah. No, so we go out, we, we stand on the sidewalk, we try to have friendly conversations, we invite them in, we say, hey, like, we love you guys, can we, can we talk? And so we went to a ward, um, and we met Hayden there, one of the mm-hmm. gentlemen we debated, and he recognized are you guys from Apologia? And we said, yes. <laughs> and he said... Um, well, do you, you guys come to the one last year where they were going to have the, 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 the little singing thing at the ward across from the temple? Yes, I did. I was yeah. there. And, and remember, there were more of us than yes, there were Mormons. there was more of us, yeah. <laughs> there, were more, there were more Apologians than there were Mormons. And yeah, they, we went deep. They were sort of like, you, you guys aren't going like, to start making noise while we're... <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. No, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's all love, but yeah. we're there to, to preach the gospel. So we got in a conversation with him. Me and him ended up exchanging numbers. We um, just had a bunch of good conversations. Oscar and Matt started a podcast, and I said, hey, we're having good conversations. How would you guys like to do this on a podcast kind mm-hmm. of style? 
Um, we did that, and then they actually came to us with the idea of a debate. Mm-hmm. I think they might have been thinking podcast, but me and Oscar were like, we're going to do this the right way. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've seen it done the right way. So yeah. <laughs> they, they were thinking uh, the same style that we had. We're sitting in a room and we're having a conversation. They were thinking, like, well, let's just do that, but have it like a formal debate as far as like timing and moderator mm-hmm. and things like that. And we were like, we're going to do a debate. We're going to do a debate. <laughs> you know? and so, they uh, got a little bit more than they were expecting. Exactly. Yeah. So from yeah. those, those, there were three, three two-hour conversations that we have with them kind of just flushing out all these differences, uh, theological differences, and, and we just kind of camped on, on the central focus, which was what's our ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. And from there, we, we came up with the debate title. Okay, so uh, l- let me go back just a little bit before that. Um, how, did, how did you end up at Apologia? Uh, well, I'm born and raised in America's finest city, San Diego. Okay, <laughs> no, so I'm born, and raised, I'm born and raised in San Diego, um, and I've always just been into apologetics, and I remember there was a point in my faith where I was like, I have to do more with this than even just the youth in my church and the people around me. So I literally just found Jehovah Witnesses on the street and started talking to them, and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and I said, okay, I have to be more diligent about this. So I started looking up videos on people evangelizing, and there was a recommended one, and it said, Pastor Confronts Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. And I clicked on it, and it was Jeff. Right. Um, in Hawaii? Yep, yep, uh-huh. yep, yeah. right, yeah. And, um, that wasn't that long ago. No, well, it, that was about, from watching that video, it took us about a year and a half, two years to get to Apologia. Okay. So I, I started digesting all of Jess' content and then stumbled into you yeah. and then uh, Cross Paths, started just digging into a lot of that. And then what happened was we realized it's time for us to leave this church before COVID happened. Um, we, we actually came out here to visit before COVID even happened and we we're like, let's, let's move out here. And then COVID hits and we said... Let's, wait, a minute, wait a minute, you moved to go to a church? We, yeah, yeah. We, moved, we moved to go to a church. Um, to a lot of people, my grandpa Larry told me, he's like, there's churches all over San Diego. There's, there's one down the street. Like, block. Yeah, he's like, what do you, what do you, and so I had, to, I had to explain to my grandpa, you know, why we felt right. going, moving to a church was important for our family, for our foundation, for us growing as Christians, and so we moved out here for apology. Wow. So uh, you couldn't possibly have as interesting a story as that, right? <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> My story is quite interesting. So for me, um, t- nearly 10 years I spent as a Hebrew Israelite, about nine years, spent a Hebrew Israelite, and uh, this is kind of a whole journey coming to Apologia. So uh, at 18, I become a Hebrew Israelite. I, I kind of get wrapped up into these teachings um, in, I would say... What was your background before that? Before that, I grew up in church. Uh, but really a nominal, a nominal Christian mm-hmm. foundation. More cultural than More cultural, theological? absolutely. Yeah. Right? We, we didn't do any reading of the Bible in home. That seems to be a lot of the Hebrew Israelites. Yeah, That's yeah, what happens. Yeah. Very, very soft foundation as far as Scripture mm-hmm. goes in uh, any kind of uh, doctrinal positions. Right? Um, so I hadn't heard the word apologetic my whole time being a Christian. Not once. Didn't know anything about it. So, so when these, these views started to challenge my views, I had no defense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I was totally defenseless. And because... Uh, as well as that, I would say I was not, um, I wasn't born again. And so now all of these, these, uh, these thoughts that I'm having concerning uh, racial issues and mm. things like that, right, they, they, they kind of just fit right into that void, into it. right, mm-hmm. that, uh, that wasn't being filled uh, by, by proper doctrinal teaching. So I spend uh, from 18 to 22, um, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, and then you... The first time I ever heard your name was uh, a conversation that you had with the elder of that organization, which was GOCC. 
And uh, that conversation just blew my mind. So first, you guys, you guys had two two programs that you right. did, mm-hmm. and one of them one of them was much more of a formal debate style. Right. So the first conversation really just like, okay, this is different. I've, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. The second one, when it was the formal debate style, that really is what hit me, and it really sent shockwaves through that whole community. Um, and so we watched that. Me and my wife watched that, and we were just blown away. I felt like we didn't know what to say. And, and part of it was because. It's not like we knew exactly, we didn't know the position. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what Reformed Christianity was. or We didn't know anything like that. So we just took it in and said, that looked really bad. You, didn't just, you, just, you just discovered that we don't necessarily right. use strong exhaustive Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and these positions that we're holding to can be questioned right. and can be challenged. And so we walked away from that asking questions like, okay, well, maybe we aren't, uh, have as strong a footing as we think we did. Three years later, all of this fleshed out in, in just in me, and I feel like God really used that as a, as a means of me coming to, to salvation. So three years later, I become a Christian after just some just God working miraculously in me. I watched it again when I became a Christian, and it made more sense. Totally, <laughs> totally blew my mind. It's like your eyes were open, right? That opened up the door to Apologia and to Vody Balkan, Paul Washer, all these guys that I started watching after that, and uh, shortly after we moved to Arizona and, and attended Apologia. I, I, when you say Vodi, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, just a few years ago, I was in Zambia, and uh, he tried to get a debate with the local imam, mm. and the imam backed out right toward the end. So Vodi role-played the imam, mm. and we did this debate for the students there at African Christian University. Oh, wow. And I just remember sitting in, in, in the seat while he's doing his presentation, and I'm looking up... <laughs> And he just blocks out the sun. I mean, it's just, just so big. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just like, man. I hope he doesn't get violent. You know, <laughs> he's just he is a big. Because I, I think it was back in 2016. I got a text message at like 5:55 in the morning. I'm like, what on earth? And I pick up my phone. It woke me up, and it was Vody. And he had sent me a picture, and he had just won uh, the super heavyweight. Trans American Jiu Jitsu yeah. Championship. And he sends me a picture at 5.55 in the morning. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, so, anyways, yeah. so, you just, you just imagine. so you guys have come from some interesting perspectives. You're now at Apologia. We do a lot of evangelism. You see mm-hmm. Jeff out there and Luke out there. And Zach, Zach of course, is, uh, I'm not sure if he ever gets home and right. uh, you know, so on and so forth. And so, you are reaching out to Mormons. We've always had a real interest in reaching out to the LDS. I mean, first time I ever laid eyes on Jeff Durbin as a clean-shaven, skinny little kid uh, was outside the Easter pageant uh, in, in Mesa. And so that's always just been a part of things. Our East Valley used to be primarily Mormon, but mm-hmm. it's really not any longer. But there's still a lot of people out there. So, so you get this debate going, and you, you started telling me about what you were uh, encountering, what you were being told. And I'm like, man, things have changed. Man, <laughs> things have changed. So what people, what, what people need to understand is what you're going to hear from the Mormons here. If, if you, if I grab some of these books. Let me start with these, then we'll dive into the video because it's going to take us a while anyways. But... When I first started studying Mormonism, and you guys can tell these are not young books, mm-hmm. um, uh, they're rather well-marked. In fact, you can, you can see my 
my uh, my teachings uh, thing here has all sorts of marking all the way through. This was this is literally the the. In fact, you can see the the uh, spines broken. Um, this was the book that I learned so much of. This is teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith, Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, Bruce R. McConkie, of course, Mormon doctrine. Uh, Gave a track to Bruce R. McConkie outside the General Conference once. Oh, wow. Doctrine of Salvation, Joseph Fielding Smith. This is a three-volume set. This is the first volume of uh, Doctrine of Salvation. And Articles of Faith by James Talmadge. Uh, this especially, this particular one, um, you could buy a set of books for every missionary before they go on their mission. And the only one I forgot to grab, and I should have <laughs> grabbed it, was another one called A Marvelous Work and a Wonder by LeGrand Richards. Talked yeah. about it, yeah. And so these four, fifth one, if I had grabbed Marvelous Work and Wonder, these five, I could talk to 14-year-olds and they'd know these books. And they'd know the theology in these books. And they believed that these men were apostles and that they, uh, could, they could receive Latter-day Revelation, mm. and that they had apostolic authority. And they recognized that their priesthood authority, if they, if they were 14, they didn't, they wouldn't only have, they don't have the, they'd only have the Aaronic and not the Melchizedek priesthood, mm. but uh, their priesthood authority was dependent upon those people. Mm. Um, and you just, you, you would not find someone questioning McConkie. You wouldn't find someone questioning Joseph Fielding Smith. These are, these, are, these are apostles of God. Now, you, I, I, I pull out Mormon doctrine and read something to some 19-year-old Mormon kid today. It's like, he could be wrong about that. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, the Spirit can testify to me just as much as he can testify to, to, to Brother McConkie, who's, yeah. of course, dead and gone now. Um, <clears throat> so things have changed amazingly. I would say it was easier for us to deal with Mormonism in the 1980s uh, when I first started dealing with it than it is dealing with it today uh, for the same reason that dealing with any type of form of liberalism is much harder than dealing with a form of conservatism because at least in a conservative perspective, there is a claim being made. We can deal with this. We can determine whether this is true or whether this is false. Once it becomes subjective, then it's just, it's like nailing jello to the wall, which is an unenjoyable experience. Yeah. Which makes me say, if you guys did that, if you guys did for six hours what we listened to in that debate, then you've got considerably more patience than I actually have. We we just went out this past Sunday, and it's hard to get people to talk to you as it is. Yeah. This lady talks to us, and she's like, I'm proud of you guys, and... And I'm, I'm like, do you understand what we're, what we're saying about your church? She's like, no, it's okay. Like, we're, we're the same. Like, we, we both believe. And so we, we try to have a conversation with her, and we, we, we dealt with some points. But she ended up, like, just saying, yeah, I'm proud of you guys, and, and it's okay. And we're, right. we're Christians, too. And I'm like, what? Right, right. In those days when the missionaries were meeting with people, and this is, I think this is one of the things that's changed. In those days when the missionaries were meeting with you, at that time, the average Southern Baptist church had 274 members. In an average week, 273 Southern Baptists became Mormons. And when the missionaries would meet with you, one of the very first things they shared with you was first the first vision. vision. Yeah. And the claims Joseph Smith that all those churches are corrupt, the creeds and abomination. Uh, there's only one, one church, Church of Lamb, Church of the Devil. That's what the Book of Mormon says. Mm-hmm. And that was, they grew yeah. massively during that time period. Mm. And then Gordon Hinckley came along. Mm. Yeah. 
And I believe Gordon Hinckley was the turning point, the downward turning point for Mormonism. At that we we asked her about those quotes that you just said right. about the first vision and the mm -hmm. church of the devil. And she said, I believe if Joseph Smith was alive today, he wouldn't believe that. See, that's just, just <laughs> that's what she amazing. Said. She's like, he wouldn't, you, you, he wouldn't believe that. There is, I don't, I, I spoke with over 5,000 LDS missionaries between Salt Lake City and, 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 and Mesa. None of them before 2010 at the earliest would have ever said anything like that at all. Yeah. Never. Would never have even crossed That's their insane. mind. But now I'm hearing it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, those, and it's stunning. In those six hours that we spent with them, very rarely was that even a part of the discussion. Yeah. Right? They, they would throw their prophets under the bus and back them up. And they, they could be false prophets. That doesn't stop Mormonism. That, didn't, that doesn't mean Mormonism is, is false if all of our prophets are false. I'm like, well, that's your foundation. That is that's the only foundation. Up. And in fact, from a, from a priesthood perspective, if someone like Brigham Young, who has been thrown under the bus repeatedly yeah. by, the, by the leadership of the church yeah. in the past 10 years, yeah. uh, if he did not, if he was not able to pass on to priesthood authority, nobody today possesses <laughs> it. No. And it just doesn't seem to me that most of them even any longer value the claim that we have a priesthood that no one else has. Yeah. That's, that seemingly has... Has gone by the way. Because that's not too. a part of the conversation. When we no, that's, them, that's never. A part yeah, of the that that was pretty amazing. So, so what I'm saying, folks, for those of you just listening in, listening in, Mormonism has changed tremendously over the past 20 years. And just to give you an example, you just said you struggle to get someone to stop and talk with always, you. Always, always. When we always. first, when we first went to the general conference, the first time we went, there were, it was me, um, Mike Beliveau, and one other guy. And uh, the one other guy we trained on the drive up. Bad move. Okay? Not, not, a, not a wise thing. He wasn't ready? No, no, no. Poor guy. I think he's got a tick to this day. He yeah. really, really does. Because within an hour, I heard, Jim. I look back. He is backed up against the, the wall. Oh and there's a feeding frenzy of Mormons around him. And so I waded in there and got him out of there. And he sat in my back pocket the rest of the day. Uh, that was not the way to do it. But wow. the point is, the I point wish, is, I wish we could have from the time we walked up to that gate until we left that evening, we were talking constantly. Uh -huh. There was a line of people patiently standing, waiting to talk to us. Yeah. They wanted to do that. And now, as I, I, I know, I've been to the, the, the Easter pageant in the past, in, before they stopped it for a while. You can't, you almost have to trip people. Yeah. Uh, to get them to stop. That is how much things have changed. And I think it has to do with if you think you're actually a part of the one true church that has the one authority from God and the full revelation from God and God is still speaking through your prophets, mm -hmm. you're going to, you're, that's going to determine how you approach other people. So, yeah, it really sure, is. For sure. And I just don't think most of those people really believe that anymore. No, they would say we're all part of the same church. That, and, and, that we don't, and believe yeah. me, in the 1980s, Nobody said that. No. Yeah. Nobody said that at all. Okay, anyways, we have gone 19 minutes with all the background stuff like that, and I, I'm not sure how, we're, how far we're going to get through this. But anyways, um, the guys have provided me with uh, some, some clips that I, uh, I have a really neat super-duper uh, program here that has, just allows me to throw them in there and time index them. So we're going to look at a couple of these things. Now, let's be honest. Um, <coughs> there wasn't a whole lot specifically about Mormonism in this debate. Right, there was know. no positive Actually, presentation of the authority of Joseph Smith, uh, the accuracy of the Book of Mormon, 
Joseph Smith's prophecies, a continuing revelation today in a in a concrete sense. Yeah. Nothing like that at all. No. It was very much focused solely upon, well, at sometimes upon Calvinism. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, had that come up during? Had that been a central aspect of the conversations and on the yeah. webcast? They've been they've been yeah. trying to, I. They've been trying to understand Reformed theology and Calvinism, and I felt like we explained it to them in such a way where they didn't have to come up and say some of the things they said. Some of them was like, man, we told you that's not what we believe. And you're getting right. up here and you're saying that anyways. Mm-hmm. But that has been something that they've said, hey, yeah, we want to understand your position more. We know you guys believe this. Is it true that you guys don't believe this? So we had probably about an hour conversation on the idea of Reformed theology, but yeah, that was just Well, it, it you've got to remember that in the LDS Temple Ceremony... And this was a bigger element of it in the past. It's gone through numerous revisions over the past 30 years. In fact, I remember the first time, I forget what year it was, when they closed down all the temples and they changed the ceremony from 90 minutes long to 60 minutes long. That's cutting out a third of what was there. And remember, most Mormons felt that what was in in the uh, endowment ceremony is a part of divine revelation. So you got rid of a third yeah. of divine revelation. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm not sure what, if you're familiar with this, but one of the reasons pe- a lot of Mormons, and this may have changed, but a lot, a lot of Mormons want to go through the Salt Lake Temple, is they still use actors mm. in the Salt Lake Temple. In the old temples, that they, they were all done, everything was done by actors. Mm. But now in all the other temples, they use video. And so they had to change the movies that were being shown in wow. all of the temples mm. when they cut it from 90 minutes down to 60 minutes. And I, I believe there's been at least two more revisions since then. Wow. And a lot of offensive stuff's been taken out. But the point is, the devil is represented as. in the LDS temple ceremony as presenting what sounds to Mormons like Calvinism. Yes. Okay, yes. so when they hear that, there's just an automatic... Yeah association with, yeah. uh, with, with, with all of that. Oh, I know where that's coming from, you yeah, know. Right, right, right. And that, that does obviously uh, slow people down from hearing what the Word of God has to say. But the Spirit of God can get through all of those things. Yeah. So uh, anyways, let's get to this and make sure all this is going to work. Uh, let's start off um, with the... Um, there were three problems they presented. Yes. The problem of interpretation, the logical problem, okay. and the problem of canon. So let's look at... Uh, the problem of interpretation, and what I've got to do is get right over there and go like that. Scriptura. Tonight we will focus on three main problems with Sola Scriptura. Any one of these, even alone. The problem of interpretation, the logical problem, and the problem of canon. Starting off with the problem of interpretation. When our opponents say, the Bible says... What they should be saying is our interpretation of the Bible says. However, our opponents will do all they can to avoid this by taking themselves out of the equation. So instead... Well... ...going to pretend that the rest of us are interpreting... So is it just... say they merely acknowledge what the Bible says and they are not interpreting it. But what they really acknowledge is what they think it says. They seem to presuppose that they are the elect who can see this perfectly clear message of Scripture because God. Okay, so you're the you're the. This happened over and over over again. Yes, you're the elect, (laughs) and you have this uh, perfect interpretation of Scripture, Mm -hmm. and so it doesn't seem in their mind to to be the concept that if God has spoken with clarity in Scripture. Yeah. 
this can be known. And if, if I don't know it perfectly, that does not mean that there is not actually a revelation that is objectively true to begin with. Exactly. So everything is focused <laughs> upon their knowledge and interpretation. That's why they're, they're so hesitant to say there's anything infallible whatsoever yeah. um, that they can actually know. Yeah. Um, and so it, all through this, and, and I really hope that, uh, this, that we can clear this up somehow, um, because uh, it was working just fine beforehand, and that, that's, that's the, the, the way that uh, things works. like this work, technology works. Um, because this becomes central all the way through the, the, the discussion. And so they have the problem of interpretation. Um, let me see if by going to a different clip, uh, you know, if it does, then we're just going to have to look at the titles and, and go from there. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to uh, bring the entire thing over there, but... It's a logical problem. This is when our opponents say that the Bible is true because the Bible says the Bible is true. Okay, do, do you say that the Bible is true simply because no. the Bible says it's true? Or are they functioning, again, on the idea um, that we have to start down here and reason upward to what, to what must be true about God? Yeah. You know, I understand why Mormons struggle with this. If your God is an exalted man, that, you have no trans, you have no ground for transcendent exactly values. Yeah. To begin that, with. that was a point I I I, I really wanted to uh, take on is is your God isn't infallible. Right? Your God isn't infallible, and so therefore the revelation from your God is not something that will be infallible. And so I think they really struggle with us saying God has spoken, and and, and what He's spoken is infallibly true, and we can take Him on His word because their view of God hinders any comprehension of that. Right? Well, not only that, see, from our perspective, God could make a perfect revelation of his will to mankind, and it would be perfect whether anyone understood it or not. He could, he could just sit back and go, well, there it is. Do with it what you will. <laughs> right. He didn't, yeah. but he could. But the problem is, ontologically, <laughs> when you say that God, men, and angels are all the same species, yeah. When you say, now, I, I've had Mormons say in the past, well, maybe Elohim was the Redeemer figure on his planet. So maybe he was the Jesus figure on his planet. So sure. maybe he never did sin. Sure. But early LDS leaders raised the, the possibility, and every Mormon has to admit, okay, if you become a god, yeah. were you once a sinner? Right, yeah. So right. We, there's your, there's your, did you want to? Well, we, we asked them in the podcast, I asked Jacob, I said, Right now, ontologically speaking, is there any difference between you and God? He said, no, we're the same. Right. And that's, and that's what they believe. God's an embryo, right? And, and God's an embryo. That's exactly, that's exactly what they believe. And so it does. It hinders their... Uh, it doesn't hinder it. It means they have no foundation right. yeah. for transcendent realities. Right. Yeah, which is when they, they, they asked us, and I don't know if we put it, I don't think I put it in here, but they asked us in cross-examination, do you believe the Bible is true because it says it's true? And I start off my answer by saying, I believe God as creator has the right to determine right. what is true. So there's this, there's this presupposition that they're not holding on to right. that really gives weight to the whole argument because they don't, they don't believe it. And, so, and unfor the only unfortunate thing about the way that we did the debate was they never had to define for the audience what their doctrine of God is in the first place. Oh, and unless yeah. you know, and to be honest with you, I know what Mormons used to believe, <laughs> but I can't necessarily be certain anymore right. that what is found in all these books and was taught by 
Joseph Smith and expanded upon by Brigham Young and, and all the rest of us. I, I, I don't know whether that's where they're coming from or right. not, any and longer. I, but I, so what, what people need to understand, what everybody needs to understand is that in Mormonism, God, men, and angels are all of the same order of being. They're just at different levels of exaltation. And so man has the potentiality of becoming a god or an angel, depending on whether you're sealed in the temple, and et cetera, et cetera. And so ontologically, on the foundation of being, there is no ground in Mormonism for transcendent realities. So in other words, if a Mormon can believe that God became God by obedience yep. to gospel ordinances and principles mm. without ever going, but gospel ordinances and principles have to have a grounding. <laughs> right. There has to be something that yeah. can give them reality and being. Right. And if you push on Mormonism, eventually they say, well, that's just not a part of Revelation, or we, we, we can't answer things like that. But in reality, exactly they have answered those that's things. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, those, those guys, they actually have a different view of God entirely. So when we had this conversation with them, one of them believes that God is the head of a council of gods, meaning he's always been God. And the other one believes, yeah, the other one, he says, it's not necessary that I believe that God was a man. So they, he, he, he rejects that. And the other one believes that God was a man on another planet, uh, possibly, and that he ascended to Godhood. But both of them would say, God must, ebay, must obey eternal law, and if he ceases right. to do so, he ceases to be God. Okay. Yeah. That's Mormon, but, but I don't know. It's, you could believe that God was a man who lived on the planet that circles a star named Kolob, yeah. because LDS scripture says that. Right. Um, but then... Upon his, upon his having spirit children, then he becomes the head right. of a council of gods, yeah. which are his offspring. Yeah. So you could believe both of those right. and, and interpret those in such a way as to, yeah. as to make them fit. But I cannot see how you can possibly be a Mormon, read the King Follett Funeral Discourse, and say um, Elohim has always been a yeah. god. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, and so they, they don't make the... Creator creation distinction that we make, right, of course, and so that's why it's their their position. I think falls completely. But we pushed them several times, and they would say our church doesn't take a stance on that. We don't have an answer to that, and and <clears throat> that happened. And I I encourage people go watch the the podcast. That happened multiple times. They're like, oh, we don't take a stance on that, mm. and so it's like, all right, well, and see, and I just I just want everybody to understand. I have stood with countless Mormons from aged men. <laughs> to 12-year-old boys who defended the assertion that God was once a man. Mm. And with, uh, this is part of the eternal law of progression, and this is a part of divine revelation, and this is, this is what the one true church teaches, and you must accept this. In fact, <laughs> uh, a story I've told many times, I'll be, I'll be brief, um, was Elder Hollywood. There was, there yeah. was one year, notice Rich's face over there, there was, there was one year where there was this one missionary that would be down at the main corner during the Easter pageant. And he literally had a badge that Elder Hollywood. That wasn't his name. <laughs> but he had had one made that had that because, you know, Hollywood. And he was tall, good-looking young kid and pretty full of himself. Yeah. And uh, one night he and I really got into it. And he was... He was head and shoulders above me and much taller than me. And he just really got going. And he started getting louder and louder. And there's all sorts of people around us that can hear this. 
and he gets in my face, and I remember him, you know, like down, <laughs> looking down at me, and he says, "And someday I'm going to be a god, and you are going to worship me." Wow. About that loud, wow. and it's like with those one of those situations where everything freezes in place and everything's silent, <laughs> and everyone has heard everything that was said because you could just see the looks on people's faces as they're looking at this guy going, did he just say that out loud wow. like that? And he's even stopped and he sort of realized, mm. oh boy. Yeah. And in fact, the next night apologized. Wow. Not, with, not with Drew what he said, <laughs> but a child apologized for getting yeah. upset. Yeah. And I, I had told that story for years and about 10 years later, I'm standing outside the temple in Salt Lake City and here this guy comes walking up to me. No. And I sort of look at him and he says, remember me? And I wow. said, Elder Hollywood. He says, you remember. Yeah. He wasn't a Mormon anymore. Wow. He wasn't a Mormon anymore. He wasn't a Christian either. Yeah. Sadly. But he wasn't a Mormon anymore. Um, and so, but, but the, the point is, that was not even disputable. And, and you read any of these books, the Articles of Faith, Marl's, there is no question about what Mormon doctrine was. Mm-hmm. And now today, it's just a grab bag. And I, I just have to wonder if the fact that the Mormon testimony has always been so subjective mm. was not just a, a poison that could not long be, be, uh, be resisted. Yeah. Um, and the result is tremendous confusion. But 30 years ago, this debate would have included a defense of the Book of Mormon, an assertion of Joseph Smith and prophethood, the, the continuing priesthood, the authority of the church. And all that stuff was almost like I wonder if we can get through this without ever mentioning it. They had 15 minutes of opening statement, and they, I think I timed it, like a minute and a half of actually presenting what they believed. And it was really quick. It, it was, was at the end. Here it is. Oh, here, it, here, oh, here. it was very much at the end, and yeah. it was very much not meant to communicate to anyone in the audience what the real specific differences are in regards to the nature of God, which is what all of this comes back to. Yeah. All yeah. of it comes back to this. So, okay, so... Um, we have the logical problem, then we had the problem of canon. Um, and uh, this, was, this was where I would expect there to be some type of a, of a positive argument on their part for continuing revelation. But it was, just, it was basically just, no, you can't... They basically borrowed Roman yes, Catholic argumentation 100%. against... Um, almost, scripture. almost verbatim. It, it seemed that it was verbatim. Yeah, yeah. 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 So seeing that it was verbatim. So, I, so that had happened before. Yeah. If you look at if you look at the comment section for that video and in some of the interaction online, all all of the Roman Catholics and all the Orthodox are like, oh yeah, yeah, the Mormons won, and it's because they use their argumentation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and there was no positive presentation on their side, right? From their opening statement, it was a rebuttal of Calvinism, right? Right. They were not. Uh, they were purposely not presenting their view purposely going entirely on an attack of something that we didn't present, which didn't actually uh, address the issue at hand. Right. Well, so, when you got up, that's, that's what you said. Right. right. <laughs> was, uh, we're supposed to you know, respond to this side's position, but nothing has really been presented. <laughs> so we're going to have to go with something else here, in essence. Uh, and, that, and that's true. I, hopefully people can view the, view the debate and see that for themselves. Um, but the whole issue of canon, uh, it's astonishing to me to hear them borrowing Rome's arguments because that cannot work for their perspective. Joseph Smith rejected Roman Catholicism 
the early Mormons rejected Roman Catholicism, and they understood the concept of the Bible as the Bible. And then initially, what Joseph Smith wants to do is to add to the canon mm -hmm. the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Sure. It's not till later on he starts getting this, you know, getting revelations on a regular period of time makes people really respect me. This is pretty <laughs> cool type of idea, idea. And you start getting this constant, constant you know, like, like, like section 114 where, where Joseph, Joseph Smith is, is naming people to go on a mission the next spring uh, and yeah. then unfortunately they die before the next spring. Yeah. And so you don't, you don't get that kind of stuff anymore. Right. Uh, there's been a clear and obvious change over time. But it was initially based on the idea that, yeah, you've got the Bible and now you've got the Book of Mormon. And uh, the whole idea of, well, you can't know what the books of Scripture were because you don't have an ultimate authority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, they, they, by, by utilizing that form of argumentation, they're basically saying, our leaders never got this right. Mm -hmm. yeah. we've, we've, had, we've literally had to come up with something better yep. than our leaders, who are allegedly apostles and prophets, mm -hmm. general authorities, uh, what have been 190-some-odd uh, uh, apostles since the founding mm -hmm. of the LDS Church? And nobody until us has figured this out. Yeah, The Internet came along, and now we've got it? Right, what, right. So, that's astonishing. So I invited, I invited a, a, a Mormon that I, that I knew, an ex-bishop, and uh, he came, and he sent me a long email afterwards, and he was like, well, you guys won simply by virtue of the fact that they didn't present what Mormonism. The church, they didn't present Mormonism. Yeah. He was like, and he said exactly what you said. There's nothing about the... Uh, the prophets and apostles, nothing about their, uh, their revelation, right? They presented something entirely different than what they're claiming to be. And so it's like, when, when, we're, when we're approaching this, that's why me and, me and Daniel are like, we wonder what they're going to say. Because as we, as we had these conversations, we recognize, well, this is not, you guys are so quick to give up on your own revelation. And we're like, we don't even know where you're going to come from. Right. And what, what, what are you actually presenting? So Yeah, that, that made it really hard to, uh, hard to follow that. Let me see if uh, let me see if I can uh, get something to work here, and if, like I said, if it uh, still bogs down on us, we'll just uh, we'll just go with our own recollection yeah. of stuff. Let's let's see if this uh, will will play for us here. We think is the ultimate authority. Our answer is this: oh. God is the ultimate authority, and He can reveal truth to us directly. The Bible even teaches this. He has not constrained himself to any amount of books on the earth today. And in now I can hear our opponents ready to jump up and say, but tell you something that contradicts the Bible? But yeah. Apologize. I imagine if we were hardwired, uh, it would probably be working, but we, we decided to you know, go and get fancy and, and, and go wireless. It's our first shot at it. Yeah, it's our first shot at it. Um, so the ultimate authority is God. Mm. But... What is, that, what is that supposed to mean, exactly? Yeah, and it's interesting, even in that, if you heard him, he said, the ultimate authority is God, even the Bible teaches this. Mm -hmm. They did this a couple times in the debate where they would appeal to James 1.6, and they mm -hmm. would appeal to the Bible when it was convenient for them, mm -hmm. and then as soon as it attacks their heresy, they just, oh, you can't trust the interpretation. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just subjective. If right. God tells you, which we press them on the cross-examination, God tells me that pouring hot water on a baby is wrong. So, because God told me that, that's, that's wrong. And then the question is, well, what do you tell the Muslim? What do you tell someone else who says, God tells me this is right? Mm -hmm. It's purely subjective. Right. 
And so it's, it's... Yeah, I don't know how they engage others. In fact, that was one of the issues there was uh, what can a Mormon say to other religions? That was yeah. one of the issues right. that you brought up right. in, your, in your closing statements. Yeah. And that's, that's what is, has changed so much, yeah. is the way they dealt with other religions in the past was to present and defend the concept of the prophethood of Joseph Smith, the reliability of the Book of Mormon, uh, the, the fulfilled prophecies of Joseph Smith, whatever it, it might be. Um, and it just makes me wonder if there has been so much information that's come out uh, over the past few decades. Um, I mean, I, I remember, um, again, before you, guys, before you were born, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 well, when did I... When did I say I started? 95. 95. Okay, so this would have been well into the mid-80s. Oh, okay, I wasn't born. Okay, so before, before you guys were, were breathing air, um, I went into the church historical department in Salt Lake City, and I had a file number, a microfiche file number, and I was able to examine this, this thing and to take photocopies, and it was Joseph Smith's 1832 diary. Wow. With the earliest, um, it's the earliest recording of what becomes the first vision. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no two beings. Um, it's very different. You can see the development over time mm-hmm. uh, of what took place. But it's, it's in, his own, in his own diary. And all, back then, I would have to carry a notebook around and, and you know, show people the photocopies. And they're like, where'd you get that? <laughs> that could be faked, you know, stuff like that. I say, hey, there's... There's the call number. I, this is where I got it from yeah. your, own, your own stuff. I can go into my library now and pull out published LDS works by LDS scholars over the past 10 years. has all that stuff in it. Yeah. Just a few years ago, they, uh, it was what, three years ago? They published pictures of the seer stone, mm. which they had had in the library the whole time. Yeah. But I had many Mormons deny there was, that's just anti-Mormon propaganda, yeah, right, right. blah, 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 blah. So much of that stuff is now available mm-hmm. that I just wonder if that's why, it's one of the reasons why, they just do things completely differently now. Mm. Because ba- how can you now present Joseph Smith as the, the prophet? Yeah. How can you do, as, as, as Joseph Fielding Smith said in Doctrine of Salvation, he said, Joseph Smith was either a prophet of God, divinely called and appointed, or he was the biggest fraud in human history. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a, and it's, they don't they they deny yeah. that that black and white <laughs> nope. categor, categorization, yeah. but they do not have the priesthood authority to disagree with an apostle. Right, no. that's the problem. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's an epistemological survival mode. They oh, have yeah. to go into survival mode because once all of the doubt is cast on their on their foundation, they have to come up with something new because it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So. Well, and it, it's and it's not going to work to then just start casting doubt on everybody else's claims. No, right. no. Now everyone's just left in the same exactly. muddle. Yeah. And right. what's interesting is that I think what they were getting at with God is our ultimate authority is they were trying to tell people trust your own heart. Like, let let God speak to you. Right. So we were presenting this is God's word, the scriptures. This is objective. Mm-hmm. Go to it. And they're like, why don't you ask God? Let God yeah. come to you. And the scriptures tell us in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who right. can know it? So again, they're not. They're not starting with the same presuppositions that we are, that man has an inherent flaw, that we're radically corrupt, that we need the, the saving grace of God, which yeah. they would affirm that terminology, but not in the way we believe not right, it. Not right. Yeah, right. and so I think what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to tell the audience, like, hey, guys, like, you don't need this Bible. You don't need this hard, this hard objective thing to stand on. Trust your own heart. 
Let God mm-hmm. speak to you. And, and that's very subjective. And they're making those same claims about the Book of Mormon. You don't need that either. Right. That's what's amazing. That's what's amazing. Because that, that would not have come out of any Mormon's mouth uh, in, in all those years out there. Yes, you would need the Book of Mormon, Dr. Cummins, Pro Rate Price, because that is, well, eighth article of faith. We, we believe yeah. the Bible will be the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. Yeah. But the Book of Mormon is the most correct book of any book on earth. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you that's what you would you would go for. Um, let's 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 see here. Um, there was a I called this the the misuse of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, due to the LDS lacking a meaningful anthropology. And this was where they quoted from the section in chapter one of both Westminster and London Baptist Confession that talks about the fact that the ultimate. Um, uh, proof for mankind. The ultimate reason that we believe is because of the Spirit's testimony. I said, see, that, that's, what, that's all we're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all we're saying. And I was sitting back there, and look, up until they started quoting me, I was just stone-faced. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do nothing. But when they did do, and I'm not sure what shot that was because it's not in the video. I'm not sure who, who got this shot. Oh. <laughs> but when they, they were doing the thing about uh, ba- child baby yeah, yeah, rape yeah. or something yeah. like that again, um, a meme is showing me, a meme is going like this. <laughs> I was actually looking up at the ceiling, looking at the light, stuff like that. But it was just like, oh, please. Um, I really, really, really wanted to jump into that point. And I, <laughs> and I honestly wondered. If the reason they quoted me, knowing I could not respond, was hoping I would jump in, mm. because then they'd look like, well, see, the other side right. what didn't didn't hold up their part of the uh, conversation their... coming up to the debate is like we have to make sure that James doesn't jump in. Right? Are we right. agreed on that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So that we can right. start poking at them. Right. You know? Exactly. That's exactly what they did. So I heard that you know I heard this being stated, and I'm and I'm like, all right, that they they quoted it correctly. Mm-hmm. But what they're not dealing with is the fact that these are words being directed, directed to mankind. And this confession says that mankind is dead in sin, mm-hmm. dependent upon regeneration to even see and understand the things. that The, the, the mind's on the flesh, hostility toward God. Mm-hmm. Those according to the flesh can understand. The natural man does not understand the things, the spirit of God. All the rest of this type of stuff. And so the assertion that's being made by both the London Baptist Confession and Westminster Confession is not that my experience of the Spirit's testimony is what makes it true. Mm-hmm. It is true objectively and in and of itself. And if it were not for the fallen condition of man and sin, no one would have any question about this. Sure. That would be obvious. Yeah. It's dealing with the reality that we live in a fallen world. Right. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there is a necessity of the spiritual you know, taking out a heart of stone, giving a heart of flesh. Right. The, the, I mean, radical uh, changes of, of regeneration, and hence the testimony of the Spirit. We are, we are dealing with an issue where we are in this fallen world. And you know, they can, they can, you know, if they wanted to, they could throw out quotes from the Quran, and they could throw out quotes from the Bhagavad Gita, and and, and, and all sorts of religions out there and say, who is to ever really know you have to have this subjective feeling type thing? And that would be very easy to do because it would be hard to point out the context mm. of all of those different quotations. Mm-hmm. Now, when you did that with the Quran with me, I'm going to tell you what, what the context of that was. Yeah. And I'm going to point out that here's someone 
who is ignorant of both the Old and New Testaments. He knows they exist. He called them the Torah and the Angel, but he didn't know what the content of them was, and he confused the content of them. And there's all this background stuff that needs to be understood here. So it's easy when you don't have those backgrounds to throw stuff out and say, oh, it's just all so confusing. Mm -hmm. But all this goes back to the idea that what the London Confession was saying, the Westminster Confession, was not saying that that subjective testimony of the Spirit is what makes Mm. the Word of God true. It's necessary in our situation because of our fallen state. We live in a fallen world. And it is also a part of sanctification. That is, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're to be growing in our understanding of the Word of God. And that would include growing in our conviction of its truthfulness. Mm -hmm. I've I've said many, many times that... Over the years, as I've been, as I've had atheists and others uh, attacking the validity of the Word of God, I can tell you that working through their um, their alleged contradictions has strengthened my faith. Oh, not because sure. I ignored them, but because I, I discovered where they yeah. had gone wrong. Yeah, right. But I I can say that to you, but I can't transfer that to you. Yeah, sure. I yeah, can sure. tell you that's been my experience. Right. And you can say, wow, you know, you've been in this a long time and you've been dealing with a lot of different perspectives. And so maybe that is helpful to you. But that experience is mine is not something I can just hand over to you and, right. and, and do something along those lines. And we, we talked about that, uh, just our, our preparation uh, for the debate and all the conversation, the, the hours of conversation really put us in a position of honing in on our studies and, mm-hmm. and in prayer and just seeking the Lord mm-hmm. in all of this. Um, and, it's, and it's been enjoyable on the backside, uh, not just actually partaking, but all that led up to it and how much it, it, it strengthened us in our faith. And it really yeah. put on display what the Bible says, right? Is that is that man cannot submit, man cannot understand, and that's what we've seen on full display. Let's look at a few of these others here. Um, okay, since we're since it's choking on us, at least I have all the, the stuff here, and so we can we can bring these things out. Sorry, guys, if you're watching, we honestly it was working just fine. My gut feeling is that Apple Play works really well initially, but if you have it sitting around for long periods of time, you can end up with buffering issues. Mm. Yeah, well, it's a typical Apple. Uh, Apple oh, yeah, yeah, it's, right. It's, it's uh-huh. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah. until it counts. Right, right, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, uh, I, I think, all, I, all I have to say that is Vista. I, End I, of that I, argument. Okay, another debate what, one. 15 years ago? <laughs> you know, this is why I became uh, a Mac guy. Anyway, um, at one point... Uh, it was said that these guys don't want you looking into the early church fathers yeah, um, because no competent historian would ever say that these people believed in Sola Scriptura. Now, it's interesting the way they put it. Mm -hmm. They they left themselves a back door, which I think may have been purposeful, is you could, I think they could argue, well, what we meant was that no one would say that everybody right. yes. in the early church, every single person, all the way up to today, which right. we don't claim either. Which right. we don't. Which yeah, we don't, we don't claim either. either. That would be uh, exactly, silly. exactly. <laughs> um, but the the reality is, we've obviously I've dealt with this subject for many, many years, and in fact have a, uh, a chapter in the book Sola Scriptura that uh, I think Ligonier makes available today. I read that today. in preparation for this. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, that documents very clearly uh, that there were individuals in the early church that held to the ultimate authority of Scripture as being theonistos and being sure. sufficient and so on and so forth. And you can actually trace that, trace that through. 
but it is the it is the eclipse of Sola Scriptura and the rise of a tradition that they would reject. Yeah, entirely. Entirely. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's just amazing when you know when I think back to the the many sermons that I've read from Brigham Young and his compatriots in Utah in the in the Journal of Discourses. Um, they they have absolutely no nothing positive to say about Roman Catholic tradition and and issues like that at all. They came obviously Mormon Mormonism's background is Protestantism, yeah. not Roman Catholicism. Sure. And so that tradition that those people would have claimed, they would they would reject uh, you know right off the top mm-hmm. as being as being false. But there are interesting parallels because it's Rome that claims you need to have an ultimate interpretable, yeah. interpretational yeah. Uh, authority. Though I'm not sure, given what they said, that even at that point, that they would be able to say what Mormons used to say. Mormons used to say, because of the priesthood, we have these men in the general authorities mm-hmm. who can interpret not only the Bible, but the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Program Price, um, and they can give us Latter-day Revelation. I'm, I'm not sure if these guys would literally say that the 12 apostles today, that if they, if the 12 apostles said this verse mean, this verse in the Book of Mormons means no. this, that they would they, go, that's, that's it. No, there no. it is. They, they would say they give the 12 apostles more weight. Mm-hmm. They give them more weight, but they even recognize that they are fallible and that they can be wrong. And so they have to take what they're, what they're, idea is is a collective witnesses so you you, you can use the prophets and apostles that's good but you also have to use your reasoning and then the main one out of there's about five the main one is the spirit spirit. it's 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 subjective the main one is your heart but you have for example logic you have reason you have the prophets and apostles you have um other things that exist out there that is the collective witness to them and so they would give the apostles more weight but they would say but the ultimate one is the spirit. So if the spirit tells me that they're wrong, then I have to go with the spirit. Let me, t- let me tell you something <laughs> straight up front here. If these young men had walked up to Bruce R. McConkie at a fireside at Brigham Young University in 1990, well, 19, let's say 1985, whenever it was, because um, there, was, there was this thing that he, he had, there was this controversy, he had some stuff he said at a fireside. But if they had walked up to Bruce R. McConkie in some... LDS context in those years and had presented that viewpoint, I can guarantee you his response would have been, young men, you either repent of your false teachings or you will be excommunicated next week. End of discussion. End of discussion. Wow. No way, because that is a fundamental overthrow of the priesthood hierarchy, yeah. which is how the LDS Church maintains control of its theology and doctrine. Yeah, and that seemingly is disappearing. Yeah, that's gone. And that, with that, will will end any kind of ability of the leadership to direct the church. Yeah, which explains one thing to me. As you may know, I have, well, I'm not talking about Wade either, but uh, I have friends up in Salt Lake City uh, who will send me news clippings about what's going on up there. Mm-hmm. It is astonishing how purple Utah has become. Mm. BYU, I, didn't, I don't know if, if I sent this to you, Rich, but BYU, when you are logging for, for uh, new students, mm-hmm. 
will now allow you to choose some other gender than male and female. No way. Brigham Young University. <laughs> the Salt Lake City uh, City Council is about as leftist as what you have in San Francisco. Wow. And I have sat back going, how can this happen in Utah? You have a gendered God for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah, he yeah. has a body of flesh and He's bones. He yeah. has sex organs. <laughs> yeah. He has he makes babies Betty for crying out loud. Heavenly wife, yeah. He yeah. has many heavenly wives. Yeah, yeah. And how on earth? But it just seems to me that it is this subjectivism that has always it's always been there. It was held in check mm. when Mormonism was primarily American. You had strong leadership. Um, and you had the emphasis upon the priesthood authority, but but late 1990s, um, everything changed. Yeah. And that once that is gone, I've spoken with other Mormons that I knew back then and I know now, and they're like, they don't have an answer yeah. as to how things have changed so much. Though I do remember, I'm not sure if you were staying there or not, but I remember staying at the South Gate of the Mormon Temple and this elderly Mormon, we were having a conversation, and I found him quite interesting. Does he? I could tell that he sort of stood back a little bit and looked at the church somewhat objectively. Mm-hmm. And I remember this guy saying, see that up there? And he pointed to Moroni up on, Moroni that got knocked down by the lightning bolt or whatever it was uh, a couple of years ago. He points up to the top of the Salt Lake Temple. And he says, in 20 years, there'll be a cross up there. Wow. And I remember looking at him like, what are you talking about? But I think he saw, before I did, because he was in the church, I think he saw the developments and the trends and the direction it was going before those of us outside would be able to necessarily see those things. Uh, And so for me, having started with Elders Reed and Reese in 19... 82, okay? Uh, I look at this, and if if they didn't say we're Latter-day Saints, I wouldn't know it. Yeah, There'd be no sure. way I could know it. Right. And That's how different they are. Right. And just one more thing on the Sola Scriptura, because they made that claim twice in this debate, and I was just astonished. Um, I gave two quotations, one from Augustine in my opening and mm-hmm. one from Athanasius. Athanasius. And then in I could my cross, have given you a 20 from Augustine. And, yeah. Ooh. Well, then in my cross-examination, I pulled a different one from Augustine, and I asked him, what do you think he means when he says, uh, what more shall I teach you than what we read in the apostles? Mm-hmm. Holy Scripture fixes our rule of doctrine. Fixes the rule of our doctrine. Yeah. So that is plain. It's clear. It's, it's, I think these Whether men, he was consistent with that that's, yeah, yeah. is the issue. Yeah. It's what did he believe the, about the authority of the Scriptures. He believed right. that, the, that it was right. there the way we do, the same right. way we Ultimate do. Ultimate authority. Right. And so these, these men are either misinformed heavily or they're being dishonest because the claim that no church father has ever believed in yeah, Sola Scriptura yeah. is not, I don't think anything is disputable. I gave you some yeah. and I asked him, what do you think? And he told, I think he said something like, um, like he's saying it's reliable, but not really all the way there. And I'm like, I, I can't respond. My time had ended. I wish right, I would have pressed right. more, but yeah, cross, cross examination is always a, a, a difficult, a difficult yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so we had the Sola Scriptura in the early church. Um, and the day don't want you to go look at the early church fathers. Yes, actually, we we, <laughs> we, we, we more we more than happy if you would, uh, and see the people who did and did not believe it, yes. and what ended up as a result of that. Uh, and then I, I'll have to try to remember this off the top of my head here, but they quoted um, 
a statement that I made in the debate with Michael Brown in regards to subjunct, subjective knowledge of one's own calling and, yeah. and, so, and so on and so forth. They were trying to create categories of rational knowledge, knowledge. and right. spiritual knowledge. They right. said rational knowledge we can be wrong on 100%. Right. That's not even a question. Spiritual knowledge we can be certain of. And so when you ask them, well, what's spiritual knowledge? Well, whatever God tells me. Which results <laughs> in the idea that your spiritual knowledge has no rational element. Right. Yes. Which yes. means it cannot be communicated to anyone else exactly. and hence cannot communicate a gospel message from one generation to the next. So when, when, when Jacob asks us, he says, I ask him, how do you know pouring hot water on a baby mm. is wrong? He would have to say that that's not a rational claim. There's no rational thought behind that. Mm. It's just the Spirit telling him it could be completely irrational and it's, it's fine. So it's, it's a hole for sure that they sing and Yeah, it, 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 and, and again, it does explain now why Mormons 40 years ago and man, I did start talking to Mormons 40 years ago. It's, and it's sad to think about. Um, it's not sad. <laughs> it's, God, just, it's just yeah. it's, it's good to think about. But Get at pressed. the same time, 40 years ago, since what they wanted you to do was to accept their claim of the authority of Joseph Smith's prophethood, mm-hmm. they could not be so sub- subjective as to do this. Right. Because yeah. these guys never made those claims. Right. That was not a and that's, But I think this is why they're not right. making those claims. Right, yeah. yeah. you, you can't. You can't go there. You can't go there. You can't do it. Um, during the cross-ex, you ask, can they truly know? Yeah. And in essence, that's where they made that distinction between mm. rational and spiritual knowledge, which means all spiritual knowledge is what? Irrational. Irrational, irrational. which is interesting because I, I asked them, I say, is it possible that Joseph Smith is a false prophet? And they say, yes. yes. Okay, then I asked them... Um, is it is it wrong for a pregnant mother to kill their baby? And they say no. So they're more sure. No, they said it was they said wrong. It was. They said yeah, it was it, wrong it, it, to it was do wrong. it. Yeah, yeah, it was wrong. So what they're saying is they're more sure of abortion being wrong than Joseph than Smith actually prophet. being a prophet. And again, <laughs> yeah. no Mormon for ever uh, ever went ever went there. Um, let's see. Oh, then they actually did this. This confused me because. You all had all these long conversations with them. They actually seemed taken aback when you said, "No, we are not all the children of God." Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, that was theater. They, they, yes. they, they that were, was all yes. theater. Was yes. Theater. Okay. They were getting the, yes. they, they wanted to uh, uh, appeal to the audience emotionally. It's they knew pure, pure we, emotion. Yeah, they we had had these conversations. They okay. knew exactly where we stood, but I think they're they're pulling on the heartstrings of the. Okay, of, of all right. Well, I, I wondered because I, I mean. It's so obvious you are children of God by faith in right. Christ Jesus. Right. Otherwise, you're children of your father, the devil. I right. mean, it's, and I know they take all of the creative language in yeah. the Old Testament yeah. in, in a in a way that the Jews never did. But uh, I, I get it. But they were they're good actors then. No, it was they, <laughs> it, 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 it was, was their it was their cross examination. They were asking us. Uh, Hayden asked, "Do you guys believe that the Bible teaches infallibly we're not all children of God?" Right. We say yes, and then the other Jacob steps in. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying right? And, right. Then, and we answer it. We said yes, as we're saying. Then he asked yeah. another question. He says, "Do you believe the Bible infallibly teaches that God, God doesn't does want not. to save all people?" Right. And we said yes. He says, "Wait, wait, wait, wait." So you're saying yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it you're was right. theater. You're they, right. They it was, understood. It was, it was theater. Yeah. They knew. They knew from beforehand. That's what we believed. It's which which I have to simply point out to them. Our people are sitting there going. Yeah. 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 So you're not, not touching them at all. So, so all you're doing is you're playing to your side of the aisle. Right. You're not trying to communicate with, with our side. No. And that's, 
See, that's, what, that's where things have changed. Mm-hmm. Back in the 80s, when one Southern Baptist church full of people per week is becoming Mormon, mm-hmm. they're on the offensive. Yeah. They're on the offensive. Right. They are completely on the defensive now. Yeah. They are not on the offensive. That is not an offensive presentation. That no. is not meant to actually establish the truth claims of, of the LDS church. Yeah. Uh, if anything, they need to understand that if they continue down this road, they will not be able to affirm any of the truth claims no. of the Mormon church that have any rational content. Right, they've given that up. Rational or historical content. Not even that, but then I, I at one point I asked them, I asked them about the abortion, and then I asked them about could you be a man, and I said, okay, so you guys know those things for certain because the Spirit tells you, and they say yes. And then I asked them, is it possible that it's Satan telling you that and not God? And they said yes. Right. So even then, there's no certainty. It could be Satan, and you can be completely deceived. So, so essentially, there's no <laughs> rational element to any of it. No. Right. Because They're because, on sinking sand. Right. Because Pause. everything can be doubted. Everything could be wrong. Yep. Right. We've already, we've already talked about what can a Mormon say to other religions. The answer would be absolutely positively nothing. 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 I mean, there can... <laughs> so you asked them, you said, uh, I'm trying to remember how you put it. You asked them, uh, well, you asked them exactly that. What could you say to the Muslim? Some person says this, some person says yeah. this. Why are you right? And he said, well, well the Spirit told me. He said, yeah, he said, the Spirit told me and the revulsion for what I have. Right, right. It's, it's just subjective. It's a subjective experience. Yeah. But you, like you said, you can't place that upon anyone else. They don't have that experience. So therefore, it's not true to them. And therefore, there is no truth. <laughs> I have to, you know, you know, I'm thinking back to KTKK Radio in oh. Salt Lake City uh, and uh, debating when I was on the Martin Tanner show. Martin Tanner is a, a, a Mormon attorney. Okay. And in this little teeny studio, you were with me, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're in this, this little teeny st- studio at night, live on the air in Salt Lake City, taking phone calls. Okay, so guess who all the phone callers are? Yeah, like Saturday, yeah. right? <laughs> so Martin Tanner is the host, LDS attorney. Um, you have two BYU professors in studio with me, both okay. from Farms, Foundation for Ancient Research and Mormon Studies, versus me. Could you stack the deck <laughs> any more greatly than that? Yeah. You couldn't possibly do so. When I think of the issues that were brought up, the arguments that, that, that were had, that, these guys would have to say that everything we discussed was irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. They, would not, they would not have been able to repeat the arguments of anybody on that side at all because they, weren't, they were not, the, the Mormons at that time were not emptying out of, quote unquote, spiritual knowledge, mm-hmm. all rational, historical, right. meaningful elements yeah, at all. Right. right. So they're making absolute truth claims when these guys. They were. They, they were. were. Yeah, they were making absolute truth claims, and they're and they're not anymore. And so, uh, I, I I can see now why <laughs> the last the last debate that I had with a Mormon that Jason Wallace organized up there was at the University of Utah, and help me help me Dennis Potter was was with with a guy in, a, a, an LDS philosopher by the name of Dennis Potter. He walks in. He was going to Notre Dame. Yeah, he walks in. He's got a backpack that says "No War in Iraq" and an earring. Mm. And I'm like, "Hmm, this is interesting." And we were debating, if I recall, the fall of Adam had something to do with what Adam's fall and its consequences. Yeah, and it was interesting. 
And after the debate, this Mormon that I had seen at a lot of the other debates, didn't know who he was, mm. he comes up to me and he says, I need to tell you something. He says, I need to ask you, please stop debating Mormons. Wow. <laughs> he said, I've come to every debate. We cannot debate you. It does not make you right, but we don't have anyone who can debate you. This is not fair. Please stop debating Mormons. Wow. And interestingly enough, that was the last debate that we had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You remember the debate with Gilbert Sharp? Oh, I do remember the debate with Gilbert Sharps very, very, very well. Uh, I, remember, I, I remember Jason Wallace. <laughs> I, I, this, this is you guys' program, but, but in this debate, during the cross-examination, Gilbert Sharps had written The Truth About the Godmakers. Okay. So it was a rebuttal to the Godmakers. Yeah. And so I'm asking him, we were debating, it, was, it was, had something to do with John 6, the fall of man, as I recall. It had something to do with the fall of man. So I'm in John 6, and here's this little old man, and he's sitting there. And so I ask him a question, and this is what he does. It gets quiet. He leans up to the microphone. I don't know, and then sits back. So I ask him the next question. I don't know. No <laughs> And then he way. sits back. At one point during the debate, Jason Wallace, who was moderating during the break, he leans over to me and says, Please don't kill the nice little Mormon man during yeah. the debate. In other words, don't let him die. Yeah, he looks yeah. like he's, he's, he's dying up here. Lesson. I don't want to be remembered as the guy that made, you know, killed the nice little Mormon guy. So, <clears throat> we, but, but there were people that believed that you should do debates back then. Yeah. And yeah. now, this is, there's, there's no possible, the only reason they did this debate was to say that we shouldn't be doing debates because yeah. if you really take their position, 100%. there is no way of answering this debate outside of, rejecting mm. all rational knowledge yeah. and just creating this irrational <laughs> category of spiritual knowledge, and, and that's it. In our, yeah. our Q&A, I, I think probably the last thing that I said in the debate was, if they win, we all lose. Right. right? If, if, if what they're saying is true, which is even a, a funny thing to say, given their stance, yeah. then nothing is actually true. Nothing could be known whatsoever. <laughs> right. so, so there's no positive presentation. It's just saying you can't trust the Bible, and therefore you, you can't trust anything. Nothing is trustworthy. And it's like, well, what are you guys presenting? Why, why are you here? And like you said, that what you're claiming is there's no reason to ever do a debate because everything yeah. is subjective experience. It's true, yeah. Spirit's the final authority uh, in all things is what they said in their closing statement. Yeah. Then you had the Anne Frank story. And so, so again, clearly intended to pull heartstrings. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the child rape stuff and everything else. Yeah. And during the Q&A. I love apologia for this. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. someone did give a, a, a question. Jeremiah. They do an alley-oop. Uh, it was, oh, Jerry. Jerry. Was it Jerry? Good, good. Okay. I not know who it was, <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, oh, good. Uh, there's the question that needs to be asked. And yeah. I made sure that it got asked. Yeah. Um, and that was, did Elohim, your, your God, have foreknowledge of what was going to happen to Anne Frank? His spirit daughter, yeah. Be, be, before, his his spirit spirit before, before he created this world. And how, then, did they, how did they... The answer, the answer was yes. They said and that's yes. it. They, they just said yes, and that was it. And you're like, okay, do you guys have a response? And then we pointed out, okay, we hope you guys see what's happening. Is this whole time they've been... Look at these, this evil God. Look at this Calvinistic God. He's so yeah. evil because he knew this was going to happen. He did it with a purpose, which I think makes our answer better. Right. And to their response was, well, Elohim knew this was going to happen, 
And instead of not creating her, he created her anyways. And he didn't put no purpose to it. He just let it happen. Right. right. And it's important to understand the difference. Very, very important. I, unfortunately, the vast majority of people in the audience um, would not have sufficient background and understanding right. of who Elohim is, who yeah. Jehovah is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, I can't even be certain of the orthodoxy of these guys' understandings of these things either because the distinction between Elohim and Jehovah, by the way, mm-hmm. is due to a statement of the First Presidency uh, in the early 1900s. I think it was 1911 or 1907. What, what was it? Somewhere around there. Anyway, uh, early decades of the, of, the, of the 20th century. And that was just a statement of the First Presidency. They may not even accept the, the validity mm-hmm. of such a statement. Because Joseph Smith, clearly, in, in his materials, um, does not differentiate between them the way mm-hmm. the modern church does. Yeah. Yeah. So they might, they might not even accept that. But I don't even begin to understand how a Mormon can have a specific theology that would explain how God would have foreknowledge of anything. Mm-hmm. How, does, how does God have foreknowledge of anything in Mormonism? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. They said we, uh, we, 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 we define foreknowledge different than you guys, but then they didn't explain it. The, well, right. You know. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's more predictive than it is actual knowledge. That is, it's, it can't be based upon a decree. No. Because right. they reject that. So they re- reject that. Right. There is no fundamental ultimate purpose that is being accomplished. Right. At least in Mormonism, the ultimate pur- purpose was exaltation to godhood and the continuing of the eternal law of progression, but I don't even know that if that's central in their perspective either. The church doesn't take a lot of stances on things, what they told us no. many times. And even, even the things well, that the church, I mean, even them themselves, some of the things that they took a stance on. They disagreed. They, they didn't. Yeah, they yeah. believe it. You know? Yeah. That's why, you know, I, I, I just, I think back on the days when... I, I know there were a number of times that I had this uh, this black camera bag. And, and the first years that we went out to Mesa or Salt Lake, I didn't have to carry anything with me because there wasn't any disagreement as to what Mormonism believed. Mm. But then we started seeing in the 90s, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I first started saying Mormonism, they had like 3.4 million members. Mm. And... Within a number of years, they double in size. Well, yeah. you, have to, you have to catechize all those people. You have to instruct all those people. You have to teach all those people. And I started seeing a diminishment mm-hmm. in understanding. And so I eventually would have these books, you can sort of tell, mm-hmm. uh, in, in my, because people would say, well, I'm not sure we believe that. And, and, but when you pull it out, especially when McConkie was still alive, um, and it's, well, you know, it's right here or, or in here, the, the, the King Follett funeral is, you know, God and exalted. Notice where it opens. Right. No, notice, where the bind, <laughs> notice where the binding is broken. Right. God himself is once as we are now as an exalted man sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. If the veil were rent today and the great God who holds the world in its orbit and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power which make himself visible, I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him as a, like a man in form, like yourselves and all mm. the person, image, and every very form as a man. For Adam was created in the very fashion, image, and likeness of God and received instruction from him. And then I am going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another and that he was once a man like us. Yea, the God himself, the Father of us all, 
dwelt on earth, the same as Jesus Christ himself did, and I will prove it from the Bible. I will show it from the Bible. And what a lot of people need to understand is that historically, if you look at all of the publications of the first presidency of the LDS Church, the most commonly cited material from Amen. Joseph Smith outside of the Book of Mormon doctrine's Pearl Great Price, well, probably more than the Pearl Great Price, actually, come to think of it, is the King Fall of Funeral Discourse. Yeah. That is the most cited material. Mm-hmm. So if the general authorities of the church cite that more than anything else, it has a quasi-canonical status. There's, yeah. there's just no way around it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but modern Mormons, yeah. you know, and so I saw that, I saw that. And it just seems to have fallen right off the cliff as far as, uh, as what people understand. There are still Mormons who believe all this. Yeah. Um, but they're sitting back going, what happened? Because they, they know we're not in the majority anymore by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And it's, um, it's got to be very troubling for them. Yeah. It, really, it really, really does. Well, I am very, very thankful, guys, that you had the opportunity of doing this. What's been the... Uh, What's been the uh, aftermath uh, uh, of all of this? What's, what's been the response to the, the debate as far as you can see? Well, as far as our two opponents, they, they're very happy with it. They, they, they think that they won very clearly. And like I said, uh, a lot of the conversation from Catholics and Orthodox are like, yeah, you guys should be embarrassed. You lost the Mormons because they're using <laughs> the argumentation. And then I'm, I'm on, the, on the other side, I'm like, you do know that they reject your church, right? You do know that they're just using your argumentation, but they felt like there needed to be a full restoration because you guys don't have the gospel. Right. So that's interesting. But, um, or the authority, that, uh, that, that, which never, right. came, no, up. Yeah, authority, never right, really right. came up. So uh, from them, they're, they're happy with it. Uh, and, and there's been, I think the video has like over 40,000 views in a week. And so it's been a, a lot of viewership of it. And uh, yeah. So. It's hard to get people to view things that are that long if yeah, it doesn't sure. have a lot of CGI in it. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a Marvel movie, right? Yeah, it's so. not a Marvel movie. Right. So. You can't ask people to sit around for two and a half hours right. if it doesn't have some type of CGI. Yeah, doing but, flips or anything. So. But, uh, well, you know, we didn't get to do things like this um, for a long, long time. I mean, uh, even the first debates we had up in Salt Lake City, um, I, I'm not even sure if we have video of a couple of the first ones because all of that type of technology was still fairly sure. new, mm-hmm. being able to have anything it had any type. I mean, I mean, the first digital camera I had was 640 by 480. <laughs> that, was, that was the resolution of the pictures. Wow. Okay, wow. that's... that's, that, that's and, a, and we were poor. And we were poor. <laughs> that, that, there was that too. Yeah, that was, that was part of it as well. Yeah. Um, but we didn't get to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And by the time we did start doing uh, some of the larger debates, like the one with Martin Tanner and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, the Mormons were already starting to back out of being a, being really interested in doing that kind of thing. Well, you don't want necessarily Bible bash and yeah, stuff like right. that. And especially once you have the, the mainstreaming starting around 1999. Because in, in the 80s, Mormons would never call themselves Christians. Sure. They, they differentiated themselves from Christians. Right, We're yeah. Latter-day Saints. We have the priesthood authority. You don't. Da, 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 da. Then that started, like I said, started to, started to change. This mainstreaming uh, movement began. And now you're seeing the end result and I, I cannot imagine that this is what they wanted. Well, but it's what they've got. They yeah. overshot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just don't think they realized that, that given the, the very nature of the blood of Mormonism right. has so much subjectivism to begin right. with, yeah. once you injected it with this stuff, 
there was no there was no stopping it. And um, uh, the 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 church the church's numbers are extremely weak. Um, the the number of converts uh, per man hour of work of the missionary force has just plummeted. Yeah, and uh, there's there's it's not just because they're not being as bold as they once mm-hmm. were. The, the world has changed. For sure. Okay, there's, there's a lot of that there too. But Mormonism especially is in a really rough spot because the way that the world is, is changing, they don't really have an apologetic for. Nope. And they yeah. are deeply, deeply susceptible to impact from the world outside. And I'm sorry, you can't take Joseph Smith's amazing claims. I mean, do you know who Zelf the White Lamanite was? Okay, uh, just real quick, uh, look up Zelf in the documentary history of the church. I'll, okay. I'll show you the DHC in, in a few minutes. We can go look at the, my library. Um, but Joseph Smith was out one day with, uh, with some riding companions, and they came across an Indian burial ground. And they started doing some digging around in it, and they found bones, which is normally what happens when you dig yeah. around a burial ground. <laughs> yeah. And Smith started explaining that, oh, these are the bones of Zelf? the white Lamanite. And they're like, really? <laughs> and he starts telling them about how, because the Lamanites in the Book of Mormon were struck with the dark skin um, for their rebellion uh, and their, their evil. Um, and eventually that was explained in the spiritual preexistence they weren't as, as brave and fighting and so on and so forth. But the Book of Mormon is already out. So yeah. he's already done the Lamanites, Nephites thing. And he's already done the Lamanites were dark-skinned because of their sin. So, so. But here was a Lamanite who was a righteous Lamanite. Mm. And so he had a white skin. Because the Book of Mormon said, you become a white and delightsome people. Yeah. They had to change that to a pure and delightsome because that really didn't work out really yeah. well. But anyway. Didn't age well. Right? Did not, no, it did not age well <laughs> at all. Especially once they started giving the priesthood to the blacks. Right. And, you know, which, which Brigham Young said was when the church went into apostasy. But anyhow, right. take all that stuff away. But the point is, from Joseph Smith's perspective, the Book of Mormon was so real that you could go riding on a horse and run across physical evidence of these civilizations right there under the ground. This happened. The Lamanites were real people. The Nephites were real people. It happened in real time. Uh, This is the one true church. It's the most correct book of any on earth. That was what Mormonism was for a long, long time. And I, I've, I've talked to so many Mormons who went on um, uh, trips down to Mesoamerica, down to Mexico and Central America, and they would tell stories. I don't know if you guys have heard any of these stories, but one of the, one of the stories you'd hear a lot, like BYU would send people down there all the time. And there was a story about how once a BYU group, group had gone down there and they had lost their travel documents. So they're in a foreign country, and now their travel documents are gone. And they pray. And they're coming back to their bus, and they see these three elderly men running out of their bus. And so they go running in, and there on the driver's seat are all their travel documents. And they realized who the three men were. They were the three Nephites. (laughs) The three Nephite apostles that Jesus said would never die. Of course. And so they, they... literally believe 
that there are three two thousand year old dudes <laughs> yeah. running around in Mesoamerica rescuing BYU students from losing their, their travel, travel documents. Their passports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, That's why because there. they know this is the one true church has been restored, and so yeah. it really happened in history. And they're they're literally saying these things. Yeah, what's what's off. happening now, though, is I've pointed out forever. When you look at the Book of Mormon's description of the Nephites and Lamanites, all Joseph Smith knew about was the ancient Romans, and so they're on horses and chariots, and they've got they've got swords and bows and arrows and stuff like that. That's they never had these things in Ezra yeah. at all. And so for a long time they were trying to. I mean, you guys can go listen to that Martin Tanner thing where I have two BYU professors literally trying to defend the idea that a war club with obsidian rocks embedded in it can be a sword that you pull from a sheath. <laughs> I heard that. I heard Good that. luck on that one, yeah. okay? They don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Joseph just got it wrong. Yeah. You know, this, is, this was how the Spirit led him to understand yeah. things. We yeah. don't have to really believe it was literally true. Yeah, so which, you, is, which is why when, when you ask, like, okay, what's the aftermath of the debate? The only, I think, comments I take serious are the people who are able to think critically and say, listen to what they're saying. Right. Like, what they're saying falls apart at, at the beginning, the fact that they're making these claims that Joseph could have just got it wrong. At one point, I asked them, I said, um, did Joseph Smith have a false prophecy? And they just didn't respond. They just, they just didn't know what to say. And then, actually, he did say, he responded. He said, you know what? We don't believe the Bible teaches that our prophets have to be infallible. Right. That's what right. he said, so yeah. Right. And it's right. Right. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy yeah, and it's, it's just, right. It's, right. it's insane. Right. Yep. I know. Well, uh, guys, I, uh, um, I think I told you that uh, on the way home, I left a voice text in the elders. We have an elders group. So me, Jeff, and Luke and Zach. And uh, I left a text and I said, uh, went real well tonight, guys. Um, uh, Because I know Jeff wasn't able to watch it live and stuff like that. And uh, well, Luke and, did Luke and Zach tell you about our conversations during the debate? Zach told me that you sent him a message saying like, shoot me. Yeah, I said, I said, would someone, someone, I said, why am I doing this? Would someone please shoot me? That's exactly what I said. Because, It is so hard to have someone quoting you, and you just have to sit there and smile. That because yeah. you, 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 you have a perfectly good response, but you, 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 yeah. you can't. Do it. So I said, "Would someone please shoot me?" Yes. So I, I did. <laughs> it is hard to when you've done 176 debates. Right, right. It is really hard to be the moderator and sit there and not not participate. Yeah. It's it's, it, it's tough. But I I left a message uh, for the guys, and I said, I, I think we need to be just extremely. Uh, thankful for the fact that the Lord is uh, raising up the next generation and that uh, um, this type of thing's going on, and we, we just need to be deeply, deeply thankful uh, for that. And so we appreciate the work that you all uh, did. Uh, don't get a big head about anything. Now you got to do the next thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've, I've said many, many times, apologetics is vitally important to the church, but it's also extremely dangerous to those who practice it. Um, it is spiritually dangerous. I cannot tell you how many apostate apologists uh, I, I know of down through history. Mm. Um, knowledge puffs up, um, and you have to have knowledge to be able to do that. So it yeah. puffs up, and uh, so you have to you have to stay rooted and grounded. And you know, you're in the church. You guys are doing not only evangelism out there, but you're also doing stuff like you know, there's other ministry opportunities of working with kids and stuff like that. That's what you need to do. Most apologists get disconnected from the church because they're just running around doing seminars here, there, and everywhere and stuff yeah. like that. And that's where, they, that's where they lose it. That's where they, they, they fail. And, 
anyone who quote unquote does apologetics should do it within the context of the local church yes, or you're in in deep trouble. But um, so I'm glad to to see this happen. I'm glad that there were some Mormons willing to do this. Yeah. I just honestly, and I, I gentlemen, I say this with all due respect, if I had met you outside the temple in 1990, I would not have identified you as a Mormon because everybody else around me in their temple garments going to general conference did not believe what you believe. They did not understand it the way you understand it. And I, I know you're young enough that you, you wouldn't have been around back then or, or would have been very young. But the fact of the matter is what you represent is, is I, I, I handed this man a tract um, outside the temple gates. And I'm telling you something. You do not believe what this man believed. And if he was a pro- prophet, uh, he was, if he was an apostle, one of the general authorities of the church, one of the 12 apostles, who are you? It doesn't even seem to me that you think that you, you have a priesthood authority that, is, that, that, that somehow privileges you. Um, this guy thought he did. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 the point is, if you all keep going this direction, there will be no Mormonism in 20 years. It will have either gone the way of liberal Protestantism and if you don't know where that's going, look at any mainline liberal Protestant denomination. You should be able to pick up some free, free buildings from them very soon because they're disappearing. <laughs> um, or it'll shatter into a thousand pieces. I'm going to tell you, one charismatic leader that comes along and claims to be a prophet, and he would have a following like you wouldn't believe because mm-hmm. there's a lot of Mormons sitting around going, what happened? What happened? Um, and I just, I'm just surprised that hasn't happened as yeah. yet. As yet, but uh, anyways, all right. Uh, sorry about the uh, the uh, technical uh, thing there. We'll we'll remember to to hardwire in the future. Um, uh, but uh, we probably wouldn't have gotten through half of them if we had played all that material, no. anyways. Yeah. So that, a lot that's sort of the way, yeah. sort of the way it goes. So, thanks for being our first guests, uh, live guests in the studio. Uh, and um, we will be looking forward to what happens in the, in the future with y'all. And uh, thank you for doing that. Thanks for watching the program today, guys. Uh, I hope it was useful to everyone. There were a lot of important issues that we discussed here, not just the subject of Mormonism. I uh, hope that'll be uh, helpful to everyone. Thanks for watching the program. We'll see you next time. God bless.